Hello and welcome to another edition of Daf Shui, Weekly Daf. Give me 40 minutes or so and I'll give you a Daf or so. This week was the Yurtzeit, or the Angelversary, or the one-year anniversary of the killing, the murder, in broad daylight by police of George Floyd. And what has happened since then? Well, one thing that's happened since then is that over 100 more people have been shot by police in the United States. Yesterday we had a non-police mass shooting because of the 300 million plus weapons of war in private hands. And so, on the one hand, people are saying, we need more cops. On the other hand, we had a mass shooting where the cops neither kept the gun away from the person nor stopped him from killing eight people whose families are now grieving, nor did the cops end up apprehending him. He shot himself. We keep us safe, or if not, we are not safe. <sighs> On this one-year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd, we have to keep that in mind. Defund the police. Or as my friend Irv would say, disarm the police, then defund the police, then abolish the police. And reinvest in communities. Restorative justice. Figure out how to have a world in which we all matter. Which liberation means we all get there together. My well-being is your obligation and your well-being is my obligation. Thoughts after Shruis, after being at Sinai, just sliding towards Tishabov. All right. Well... Let's do some Gemara. Uh, we are, uh, just as a PSA, we are the only Daf Shrui Jewish podcast in the top 60 Jewish podcasts coming in at number 23 this week. That was a bump of one. Thank you all. We are on the bottom line of Samach Dalid Amun Bet 64B in the layout that was publicized and published by the widow and brothers Ram in Vilna low these 150 years ago. So we are in the middle. We are picking up again this debate between Rabbi Akiva and the sages, which has been defined by the Gemara as being a debate about whether when one sells, one sells ba'ayin yafa or ba'ayin ra'ah. That is when one sells, whether one sells everything or one sometimes keeps something for themselves. The ayin yafa, with a generous eye, is when one sells everything. The ayin ra'a, or what we might call a miserly eye, is when one sells but keeps a path for oneself. So if one sells, right, we were talking about, if one sells one's estate but keeps the boar, keeps the, the cistern, does that assume that one also keeps a path, keeps back and does not sell a path to the cistern? So Rabbi Akiva says, Ba'ayin Yafa, with a generous eye, that means that, nope, didn't keep the path to the cistern. On the other hand, uh, Chachamim, the sages say, Ba'ayin Ra'ah, with a miserly eye, that one didn't sell the cistern meant they also didn't sell the path to the cistern. So it might be a little counterintuitive. For In my mind, it's counterintuitive. But might not be counterintuitive. Okay, so now the question is, we're going to go into something of a technical piece in the Gemara, or a piece, especially in the scholarship around the Gemara, 
about who the halacha is like. So itmar, itmar is the way it is said. It is a way of introducing a discussion. Itmar, it is said. Rav Huna Amar Rav Halacha Kedivrei Chachamim. Rav Huna said in the name of Rav that the law is like the sages who say Ba'ayin Ra'a with a miserly eye, meaning that a person sells can keep something or reserve something for himself. Now the the Vilna edition, the printed edition, has Rabbi Yirmiya Bar Abba Amar Shmuel Halacha Rabbi Akiva. Rabbi Yirmiya Bar Abba says in the name of Shmuel that the law is like Rabbi Akiva. However. All the manuscripts leave out Rabbi Yirmiyah Bar Abba Amar Shmuel, well, not, but just about all the manuscripts, and just has, which makes more sense, because Rav Huna is reporting the Machloket. So there's, it doesn't make sense that Rav Huna would only report one side of the Machloket, and then Rabbi Yirmiyah Bar Abba would report the other side of the Machloket, and probably just the Rabbi Yirmiyah Bar Abba migrated here from the next line. So it's Rav Huna said that Rav said, this is also going to come up. So it's Rav Huna reporting on the sides in the dispute amongst the Amoraim, which is a dispute in amongst the Tanim. Okay, so now that I have everybody confused, Rav Huna said that, Rav said that, the law is like the sages, like Chachamim who say, with a miserly eye, that means you can retain some part of the property. And Shmuel said that the law is like Rabbi Akiva, who said, with a generous eye, you don't retain anything when you sell. Okay. Amar Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba Rav Huna. Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba said to Rav Huna. Rav Huna was the one who just reported this machloket. Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba said to him, amrita kame So many times, I, meaning Rav Yirmiya Bar Abba, said to Rav that the law is like Rabbi Akiva and Rav didn't say anything to me, right? So why would you, how could it be that Rav holds that the law is like Chachamim? Because I said to him a whole bunch of times that the law is like Rabbi Akiva and he didn't say anything. So apparently he, he agreed with me. He said, so Rav Huna replied to Rabbi Yirmiya, how did you recite it? Right. What did you say? Amarlay. Now here another here there's a another very important change in Girsa. Amarlay Ibchatanina. So he said to him, I said the opposite. Okay, so in other words, I said that Chachamim hold Bayan Yafa, right, with a generous eye, keeping everything, selling everything. And Rabbi Akiva held Bayan Ra. So therefore, it didn't bother. So Amarle. So therefore, then Ravuna says back to him, Because of this, he didn't say anything to you. Why? Because he was fine with it. He, in other words, if you said to him, Talacha is like Rabbi Akiva who holds Ba'ayin Ra'ab with a miserly eye that you can hold back stuff. So Rav said, All right, yeah, I agree. I agree that the law is Ba'ayin Ra'ab. You think it's Rabbi Akiva. I think it's Chachamim. Okay. So now here's what's interesting. One question comes around, one question, one immediate literary question is, Amalai Ibcha Tanina. When Rav Yirmiya is challenged by Rav Huna, what did you say? How did you say it? According to the way that our editions are printed, Rav Yirmiya replies, I said to him the opposite. Now why would Rav Yirmiya say, I said to him the opposite? 
if Rabirmia understood that that was actually the way it was, he wouldn't say, I said to him the opposite. He would say, I said the right thing. You know, I said that sages hold by in Ra, Rabbi Kiva holds by in Yafa. Or he would have said the other way, rather, sages hold by in Yafa, and Rabbi Kiva holds by in Ra, whatever it is. But he wouldn't say, I said the opposite. I said the wrong, I said the wrong thing. It's like somebody said, you know, oh, why doesn't Rav agree with me? I told him lots of times that, uh, you know, I told him lots of times that the Lacha is like Rabbi Akiva. Oh, well, what did you tell him? Well, I told him the wrong thing. Nobody's going to say that, right? Now, the problem is that we have, so a lot of the Girsaot, a lot of the, the manuscripts, don't have Tanina. It just says, Amrlai Ibcha, which doesn't, which means that this isn't a quote from Rabbi Yirmiyam, but it's rather the Stam, the editor is saying, after he says, Hechi Tanita, after Rav Huna challenges Rabbi Yirmiyam, saying, what did you say to him? So then the Stam, playing the role of Greek chorus, says, he actually told him the opposite. Now, that's well and good, and actually the Rajbam also understands it that way. The Rajbam says that, So I told him the opposite. Right? That Rabbi Akiva says, with a miserly eye, and Rabbanan say with a, a, a generous eye. And it is the Gemara, which is the way the Rajbam says, Stam. Our or wait, we say stop is what the Rashbam says, Gemara who, right? The editor, who who explains that he said the opposite, right? Now, not everybody agrees with that. So Rabbeinu Gershom actually says that has the girsa of Ana Ibchatanina. So he says to him that the Rabbi replies, I told him the opposite, the other way around. And he doesn't see a, a problem with that. So it's interesting, I mean, the Rabbi who said, I said it opposite. And that raises all the questions of why he would say, I said the opposite. Who knows? Maybe just saying I said the opposite, not I said the wrong thing. Now, Halivni raises a question of why Rab says nothing to Rabbi when he casually says to Rabbi Allah is like Rabbi Kiva. Is it because that Rab actually knows that there are two different traditions of what Rabbi Akiva and Chachamim say? Right now, that's what he raised. In other words, could it be that when uh, Rabbi Yirmiya said to Rav that the halachas Rabbi like Rabbi Kiva, Rav didn't mind because he knew that there was another tradition of that, and we see that actually in the Rishalmi. The Rishalmi says, "Rabba bar Rav Huna b'shem Rav halachak Rabbi Akiva didan dahavi Rabbanan Rabbichia." So Rabbi Bar Rav Huna, who ends up being our Rav Huna, says in the name of Rav, the law is like Rabbi Akiva, our Rabbi Akiva, which is the sages according to Rabbi Chia, right? And our that's our Gemara. Rav, right, says like Rabbi Akiva, which is only when Rabbi Akiva is actually the sages. So Rav holds like the sages. Rabbi Zera, Amar, Rabbi Zera, Rabbi Yirmiya B'Shem Rav, so Rabbi Zera, Said in the name of Rabbi Yirmiyah, said in the name of Rab, Halacha Rabbi Akiva, de Rabbi Chia, de Habi Rabbanan de Bavlai. The law is like Rabbi Akiva, who is the Rabbi Akiva according to Rabbi Chia, who is the sages of the Bavli. Rabbi Yirmiyah is saying that the Halacha is like the sages, but like Rabbi Akiva says sages. So they're both saying that there is another Girsa in which it's not that Rabbi Akiva says, that buying your father, Allah is that you sell everything, and Chachamim say you say sell nothing, you sell miserly that you retain a part. But rather, Rabbi Akiva says buying ra, you sell it miserly, and and and, and Chachamim say the opposite. So the machloket is the same, the dispute is the same. It's just that there's a difference about who says what. So this explains 
possibly why Rav, why Rav says nothing to Rav right? Because when when Rav casually just says the opposite, because Rav knows about it, it could be also that the Bavli only knows eventually. The Stam the Bavli only knows that there's one gear, so it doesn't know like the Yushami knows that there are two Gersot, that there are two versions, which is also kind of interesting. It means that the Bavli here, the sta- the editor of the Bavli, didn't have access to this understanding in the Yushami. So there we go. So that's why we have this whole mix-up here. And ultimately, it's a question of, I mean, it, it's, so there are, two, there are a number of different things. There's an interesting history of the text itself. It's also some kind of insight, who knows how much, some kind of insight into the transmission of teachings in both the Bavli and Yushalmi and the transmission of rabbinic teachings that they get mixed up. Even though here, and here you could see it, nobody's that worried about it because it's not like some major mix-up in what people said. Like nobody said Shabbos is on Tuesday or pork is good with Swiss cheese. But rather, they just it's just who said what, right? And that mix-up is actually pretty easy to understand in an oral culture of transmission. But it's also kind of a peek behind the scenes that here you go, everybody, and you know, going back to the the Rosh Bam explains that this is actually, you know, this is actually they're trying to fit this together. Okay, we continue. Amale Ravina le Ravashi. Ravina said to Ravashi, "Lema azdu letamayim," or actually a lot of the Gersaot have. Lema Ravu Shmuel Azdu Litamayu or Ravu Shmuel Azdu Litamayu. So let us say that Ravu Shmuel went according to this is not the only place that they're arguing about this, but that actually they argue about Ayin Yafan Ayin Ra'ah in other places, right? Generously selling or miserly selling in other places also. Okay, so I just want to point out before we get into it that the Rishonim are a bit exercised about this loosey goosey use of Azdu Litamayu here. Because Azla Tamayo, they went according or they followed, they were consistent in their application of their interpretations, is usually used to refer to Tanaim, right, to the earlier sages of the Mishnah. And here it's referring to Rav and Shmuel, who are admittedly early Amoraim and important Amoraim, but they are still Amoraim. They're sages of the Talmud and not sages of the Mishnah. So the Rishonim are a bit up in arms about why that's going on, or I don't know if they're up in arms, but they're a little bit exercised in their for pointing it out that this is okay if we say that. Okay. But they're pointing out also that that's why further on there's a tzricha, which is usually used to harmonize. And here it's not. So this whole thing is a little bit off and might be using these terms, which are usually strictly technical terms, in a non-technical sort of way. So they're saying, so Rav and Shmuel are consistent with what they said elsewhere. Where is the elsewhere? Dhammer of Nachman Amar Shmuel... Rav Nachman relates a tradition in the name of Shmuel, Ha'achin shechalku ein lahen lo when two brothers who are dividing an inheritance, neither of them can claim a path from the other one to their their property, whatever it was. Neither of them has a claim on the other one. Lo sulamot neither of them can claim that they should be able to put a ladder or a staircase up to their property. Below Chalonot tells that neither one can claim a right to open a window. Remember, we had the whole privacy issues, which we spent weeks on. Below Amat Mayim and neither one could claim an aqueduct across the other person's property to their property. And Shmuel adds, 
be wary of these or be careful of these because they are set halacha. Now, set halacha, and sometimes in some of the, the manuscripts adds that it is halacha l'moshe misinai or kihalacha l'moshe misinai, that they are uh, laws, and this phrase, a law that was given to Moses at Sinai, means a law from antiquity. That's probably what it means, essentially. But it gives it an extra kick of, of authority so that uh, these two folks, uh, when they're arguing about inheritance, they can't make a claim on the other brother's land, meaning I should be able to get to my land by walking over your land. I should be able to have an aqueduct that goes from the, the cistern or goes from the river to my land, over your land. No, no such claim. And Rav says... They have a claim on each other. So here we have another dispute between Rav and Shmuel, where Shmuel is saying, seems to be saying, generous. When you sell, it's generous, meaning that it's all. So there's no claim on each other because they divided the land. Each brother gets a half. And fartik, as they used to say in Eastern Europe. And that's it. It's over, right? That they are, um, uh, that you have no more claims. Rob says, no, Yeshlan. Why? Because Ba'ayin Sarah. Rob says, you have that each brother can make a claim, this kind of claim of a path or, or an aqueduct or, 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 or a window because one can, one can reserve, one sells with a miserly eyes and can reserve some, some, some land. So therefore, this seems to be a redundant dispute because we could have derived from the first dispute of who of, of the person who holds selling generously there would sell generously would hold generously here and miserly there miserly here so the Gemara says the stam says no we need both of them because if we had only known about the inheritance case bahi kamarav so we would have said that Rav only holds only says what he says there that they have a that they have claims on each other's property. Because there they could say, I the the one brother could say to the other, I want to live on it just as our father lived on it. And therefore our father got a path across this this land. There was a path across this land. So therefore I should get a path across the land. Teda no, this is so. A verse from Psalms 45.17, which can be read as, In place of the fathers shall the sons be. The sons shall be in the place of the fathers. Meaning, when you're talking about inheritance, so the sons come in and they just easily slide into the father's role, so therefore they can make the claim also on the path, and that's, and etc. and so forth. Avel Baha, but in the case of just merely selling or buying ayin ra'ah with uh, generous or marzli right? there he would have said that Shmuel is right, that it is ayin yafad's generous buying. You don't keep back anything. The eat marbahan, if it was only in a case of selling a house or a field, there Shmuel would have said what he said, which is, by the, according to Rabbi Akiva, ayin yafad, but in the case of, of the house, maybe not. Therefore, you need both of them. This week's podcast is brought to you by OAJGG, Old Ashkenazi Jewish Guy's Gym. Two schwitzes, no weights. Ever get that feeling that you should exercise more? 
Followed by a stronger feeling that getting up from the couch could actually be dangerous? Well, we're the place for you. O-A-J-G-G. Our motto is no pain, no pain. Our philosophy is the three shins. Schwitz. Shh, you're playing the music too loud. A man can't hear himself think. And something else that begins with a shh that I can't remember right now. When you've tried the rest, and all they want you to do is schlep this thing here, schlep that thing there, bend down, push up, it's time to try the next thing. O-A-J-G-G. Old Ashkenazi Jewish guy's gym. Okay. Good. So here we have another kind of behind-the-scenes thing. Rav Nachman says to Rav Huna, Nachman says, Rav Huna is the halacha like me, or the halacha is like you. Meaning, who is that? Who who do we hold like ba'ayin uh, yafar or ba'ayin ra'ah? So we say the halacha is like you. Why like you? Because you are close to the house of the exilarch, and there are either, now you understand, there are many judges right, in the house of the exilarch, or there are many cases. And therefore, you can, uh, therefore, uh, you know the halacha better. And uh, uh, Rajbam interestingly says, "Mekarvizu beresh galuta." You're close to the how the exilarch. Rav Nachman chatana de Ahava, and Rav Nachman was the son-in-law of the house of the the exilarch. V'ragilbem komadayanim, and he was always hanging around where the judges were. The shchiach dayane, and there there are many cases. V'ramasim b'choyom heach dayane, and he saw every day how the judges would be. Inami. Dini, or you could say it's the laws, Kach Piresh Rabbeinu. Kach Piresh Rabbeinu Hanal. And that's how Rabbeinu Hananel said that there are lots of laws there, or there's lots of judgment there. Okay. We got Itmar, Shnei Batim, an interesting case. Shnei Batim Zelofnim Mizeh, Shnei Bemecha, Shnei Bematana, Elam Derech Zelza. There are two houses, one inside the other, right? Either there's concentric circles or in some way inside vis-a-vis a road or something. One is backed up onto a mountain. So there are two houses, one inside the other. If both of them are sold or if both of them are given as gifts, neither of them has a claim to the other one for a path through the other person's property to their property. In other words, if they want to get this, they have to buy a path. All the more so if the outer house was given as a gift and the inner house was uh, sold. What happens if the outer house, however, was sold and the inner house was given as a gift? One would have thought that they don't have, neither one could make a claim for a path, and that's not true. Milot's not, did we not say, what is the what case are we talking about there? Bimocher. That's only talking about when it is sold. But in a case of given as a present, then everything is given. So that that Tanaitic statement, that Mishnaic statement, brings us back to the fact that in a case of matana, as the Stam says, Alma Matana Whenever one gives a gift, one does one gives it generously? One does not hold back any part of the property. So too, in this case of the two houses, one inside the other, it is a case where it is generously given, and therefore, 
if it is the outside, the outer one is sold and the inner one is given in as a as a gift. So then the inner one, the gift one, is completely given and therefore has a claim for a a a path to it. The Meiri understands that as a principle, Ayin Michel Mecher. So Meiri takes this, turns this into a principle that the uh, the generosity of the gift is greater than the generosity of the sale, and that's why the gift has more, gets more. Um, this is how he explains the inside outside. When the outside is a sale, the inside is a present. Then the inside buyer has a pathway to her property, even though the outside is a sale, and sale might be also buying yafa generously, but the inside is a gift, and so the gifts, ayin yafa, generously given, is greater than the generously sold. Okay. We are almost turning the page. Next Mishnah. A mocher, to buy it, one who sells it, and we're continuing with this notion of when you sell something, Okay, when you sell something, what are you exactly selling and what might you not be selling? What is included and what isn't included? A mocher to buy one who sells a house. So when you sell a house, the the door is sold, right? Something which is which swings back and forth, so it seems to be maybe it's not considered as as there permanent, but not the key. Now we're talking about a key, so what we talk about when we a key is the same thing as nowadays. It's a combination key and doorknob. When you took the key out, there was no way to open the door, not because it was locked, but also because there was no mechanism, like a doorknob, in order to pull out. So the, you would put the key in, and it would both unlock and also serve as the doorknob. So one might have thought that since it does both, it does those two things, then it is part of the door, and it is kavua. It's, it's, it's there always, permanent. But no. So you sold, sell the door, but not the doorknob slash key. When you sell the house, you also sell the mortar, a mortar which is permanently, like you dug it out of the land, out of the floor. But you don't sell a mortar, which is a place to, to grind spices or other things, that is, that is uh, um, able to be moved. And if you sell the house and you have a mill, so you sell the uh, mill ring, right, which is not movable. That's where the mill kind of, millstones kind of rest on them or what keeps the millstones in one place. Below eta kelet. The kelet is the hopper, apparently, um, which is the stone that rests on top and moves around in a circle. And so that's not considered permanent, and therefore it is not sold. You don't sell the uh, oven nor the other kind of oven. Right? A tanur is a larger oven, and a kirayim is a smaller oven. Tanur, often you cook stuff inside, and kirayim, you cook stuff on top, like a stovetop. Because both of those things, though, however, are movable. Turning the page. At the time that you, if you sell and say the house and everything that's in it, then everything is sold. Okay, the Gemara. 
Let's say that the Mishnah does not go according to the understanding of Rabbi Meir. The Rabbi Meir, because if it was Rabbi Meir, Ha Amar, did not Rabbi Meir say Machar Tekerem, Machar Tashmishekerem? Rabbi Meir said, if one sells a vineyard, then one sells everything that is in the vineyard, all the things that, well, the, the parts of the vineyard, the Tashmishim, literally the, the, those things that service the vineyard, the appurtenances of the vineyard. I feel Tema Rameir said, no, even if you're going to go according, even if you want to say that is Rameir, Hatam Kaviyah, Hachala Kaviyah. There, when you sell the Tashmishay Karam, those, the appurtenances of the Karam, and that's like if you have permanent sticks in the ground where the vines can grow around and loop up, um, if those are permanent, things like that. So that's permanent. That's why Rebbe Meir said that they're sold. Hachala Kaviyah. But here we're talking about things which are not permanent. Vamafteach Dumya Didelet Kitani. So isn't the key slash doorknob like the door itself? So if you're going to say that the door is permanent, so the doorknob slash key should also be permanent. But rather, the Mishnah is not, It's this clarifies for us, this clarifies for us that the Mishnah is not like Rabbi Meir. Okay, more texts dealing with this issue. Somebody sells the house, they sell the door, and they sell the nagar. The nagar is a crossbeam, which is above the door or to the side of the door. And when you close the door, it falls down and operates as a crossbeam to keep the door locked. Etamanul below etamanul is is a, a lock, and the so those two are those are sold together with the house, the the door, the crossbeam, and the lock. Below etamafteach, but not this key slash doorknob. Machar etamachteshet hachakuka below etakvua. So you sell when you sell the house, you sell the mortar which is dug into the ground. Right, which is carved out of the ground, but not the one that is permanent. Macharha it's trouble of et kelet. You sell the bottom stone of the stone mill or the, the mill ring, but not the top stone or the, the hopper, which is not permanent. You don't sell the oven or the rechaim, the yoke for pressing. Rebbe Lezer says anything that is attached to the land is like considered like land, right? So therefore, it's sold. If you sell something, it's sold. But when he says to when the seller says to the buyer, "I am selling you this and everything that's in it," so the whole thing is sold. In any event. He does not sell, the, the seller is not intending, nor does he in practice sell the cistern or this, the, the basement kind of um, uh, storage place, nor the loft underneath or above. Okay. A whole other text about the same thing. We're still talking about what is considered to be part of the house or part of the land. And here we're going to attack it from a different way. A pipe that was carved, and then at the end it was attached. It makes the mikvah, the ritual bath, 
invalid, right? Because the water that's in the ritual bath cannot have been in any sort of vessel prior to being in the ritual bath because a vessel can become impure and therefore transfer the impurity to the water. And so if you have a pipe that leads water into the mikvah, if that pipe was first carved, so then it is a vessel, a kli, and then it you can't use it anymore for the mikvah. If, however, your mikvah is just carved out of stone that's in, like, bedrock, and then you carve a pipe out of more bedrock leading to the mikvah, then that's cool. That's not a problem. Right? And if he... If he, if you attach it, if you just take a whole bunch of rocks and put them next to the mikvah, and then you carve out the pipe, then it does not make the mikvah invalid. Mani, so who does this go according to? Lo Rebelezer, Velo Rabbanan. This seems not to go like either Rebelezer or Rabbanan, right? Or neither like sages nor like Rebelezer, because Rebelezer said anything that's connected to the land, to the ground is like the land, ground. And the sages also seem to say something else, right? So, hey, Rebelezer, which Rebelezer? Elam or Rebelezer to buy it. So, if you're going to say that it's not like Rebelezer of the house, which we just said before, the Rebelezer says anything that's connected to the ground is like the ground, the land is like the land. Dilma, high no time at the Rebelezer. This is the maybe, this is the reason, this is Rebelezer's reason. Savar mocher buying mocher. He held that one who, one who sells, sells generously. Rabbanan Sabri Mocher Bayan Ra'amacher. And the rabbis say that one who sells, sells miserly. So that's why they dispute over the various things that, like the mortar or the other things that they say that they have a dispute about. Vela Rebelezer, that's obviously not Rebelezer because that's not talking about the question of whether or not something is Nuchubar Lakarka, something is attached to the ground, but rather whether or not we're talking about generously or miserly selling. But rather, Rebelezer of a beehive. It's not because we have a Mishnah. Rebelezer says that a beehive is like ground, is like land, and you can write a prusbol about it. Now, a prusbol is in the Shemitah year, the seventh year, all debts are forgiven. So if I owe you $3 million, Comes Prusbol, no more $3 million. So this might be a problem because then you won't lend me any money in the during Shemitah because you know I'll never pay it back to you. In rabbinic law, there's no interest, so there's no motivation for you to lend me the money. So they came up with this notion of a Prusbol, which means that you would write a declaration which basically said that you're allowed to collect the money even after the seventh year. It's a little more complicated than that. But you need a piece of land in order to write the declaration. And Rebelezer says that the beehive can suffice for that piece of land. And a beehive also is like land in that it doesn't, uh, it cannot become impure. When it is in its place, in other words, a place where it was first created by the bees, it does not become impure. And somebody who takes the honey out on Shabbat is uh, obligated, accountable for bringing a chatat, a sin offering. Meaning, Sir Rebelezer holds there that it is like land. That it is, uh, yeah, like land. Everything that is attached to land is like land. 
And the sages say that it is not like land. You can't write a principle about it. And it can become impure. Even in its place. And if somebody takes the the honey out of it on Shabbat, that person is is not obligated, is not accountable for taking the honey out of it on Shabbat. And the question of Shabbat and the taking the honey out and whether it's attached to land or not has to do with whether or not that action is like an action of, in some ways, harvesting. Not exactly harvesting. We'll talk a little bit more about that next week. When we finish this off, we're stopping right in the middle because this goes on for a bit. But the question here is, of course, going through many different things, is is Rebelezer, who says everything that is connected to the land is like land, how does that impact him saying that this pipe made out of stone, which was first carved and then put down, why isn't that now like land since it was attached to land? And which Rebelezer it is, is it? And that will keep you on your seats, on the edge of your seats, I am sure, until next week. And being on the edge of your seat, I want to thank you for being here on the edge of your seats and joining me for this daf today. Thank you, as always, to my amazing producer, Eli Ungar Sargon. Check out his podcast, Four Cubits, with Jeff Helmreich. Thank you to my wonderful Chavruta Shalata Robert, who doesn't have a podcast. And thank you to my communications director, Shachar Cohen-Hodos, who is responsible for the creative and wonderful Daf Shvui logo. It's been a pleasure spending this time to you. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please go and give us a ranking on the podcast page, the Apple podcast page. It supposedly makes it easier for other people to find us, and it makes me feel good. You can contact me with any manner of comments at the widow and the brothers at gmail.com. I look forward to hearing from you. Be well, be safe, be nice to each other. See you next week.